Hello, I'm Father John Horgan, pastor of Saints Peter and Paul Parish in Vancouver, Canada, and welcome to our series, The Angels of God. In our last program, we spoke about adoration, adoration of God, especially through adoration of the Blessed Sacrament. In recent years, many people have begun the practice of making a holy hour before the Blessed Sacrament exposed in their parishes or at other shrine churches. And this has been a wonderfully fruitful, a marvelous way of prayer for so many people. There are many different ways of beginning our holy hour, but I suggested in our last program that a fruitful way of starting is to place ourselves before the Lord in a spirit of contrition to express our sorrow for our sins and for the sins of the whole world so that we might have the light of God flooding our mind and heart and so that we might realize our dependence on God's love and how that love of God supports us, sustains us, gives us life. After we've made our act of contrition, then it's good for us to place ourselves before the Word of God, perhaps by meditating on a passage from Holy Scripture, or considering one of the beauties, the perfections of God, the teachings of Jesus, manifest in the teachings of His Church. After that, then, we might bring our body into our prayer. We do so by bowing our heads, submitting ourselves to the will of God, repeating with our voice, with our heart, My God, I love you making an act of faith and hope, and entrusting ourselves to the Lord for mission so that He might send us out to do His will. And finally, in that surrender, we listen to the Lord. We listen to His voice as He speaks to us and calls us to a deeper union with Him in adoring love. That's really the outline of the Holy Mass, if you stop to think about it. We begin the Mass with a penitential rite, in which we express the, our sorrow for our sins and the sins of the world and our trust in the healing and reconciling love of God. Then we listen to the Word of God in the Holy Scriptures and in the homily. And finally, we pass from the liturgy of the Word to the offertory. And in the offertory, the bread and wine that are brought to the altar with other gifts express the gift of ourselves. The bread and wine are set apart to be changed, to be transformed into Christ. And we pray that we too might be transformed into the Lord, that we might become members of His mystical body, that we might be divinized by His Eucharistic presence. And this, of course, reaches its culmination in the consecration of the Mass and Holy Communion. Now, in the modern age, in the 20th century, a beautiful gift from God, a particular message to us about the importance of adoration was brought to Fatima by the angel whose appearances in 1916 prepared the three children for the coming of the Mother of God in 1917. These three apparitions of the angel present to us the gospel in a very straightforward way, in a way that could be understood by little children. The account of the appearances of the angel comes to us from Sister Lucia in her memoirs, which she wrote some 20 years after the apparitions had taken place. But these memoirs reveal to us 
the freshness and the power of this visit from an angel of heaven. Sister Lucy writes that in the spring of 1916, she and her cousins, Francisco and Jacinta, had sought shelter from the weather in a rock on the slope of the Loca da Cabeso. After lunch and their prayers, a shortened version of the rosary, which the children were wont to say, they began to get ready for the more serious business of play. And then, suddenly, they saw a great light approaching them from the east, a light whiter than the snow, in the form of a young man, transparent and brighter than crystal, pierced by the rays of the sun. As he drew nearer, we could distinguish his features more and more clearly. We were surprised, absorbed, and struck dumb with amazement. Lucia's words echo the response of many prophets and holy men in the Old Testament who were struck with wonder and holy fear when they saw an angel appear to them. The first words of the angel to the children are also telling. The angel says, Fear not. Now those who love God have nothing to fear from God's angel, though the appearance of the angel is filled with awe and glory. The angel comes only as the messenger of the Lord. The children felt the overwhelming presence of God through his messenger. Lucia would write, The supernatural atmosphere which enveloped us was so intense that we were for a long time scarcely aware of our own existence. The presence of God made itself felt so intimately and so intensely that we did not even try to speak to one another. The peace and happiness that flowed from this appearance, though, remained with the children long after the angel would disappear. The angel's next words, I am the angel of peace. He was appearing to the children in a time of war a time in which many families were worried, concerned for their soldiers at the front. The angel of God comes to the children and to the world as a messenger of God's peace. For the peace of nations is a gift from God. Peace of heart comes from loving submission to God, and peace in God comes from loving union with Him. And then the angel invited the children to pray. Pray with me. We've spoken before of the importance and the advantages of the angels assisting us in prayer. The prayers of the angels help to draw us into the presence of God and speak to the Lord with trust and with clearer faith. And then the angel went on to teach the children this prayer. O oh my God, I believe, I adore, I hope, and I love you. I beg pardon for all who do not believe, do not adore, do not hope, and do not love you. If we stop to think about that prayer, we see that it is rooted in the gospel. It speaks of the two great commandments, the love of God and the love of neighbor. Once we realize this, we see that the prayer is a marvelous tool for the children and one that will help them to advance in their own spiritual life. Lucia will write that after this appearance, the children would spend hours and hours repeating this prayer. 
an expression of their own generous love for God and for neighbor as they progressed in virtue, as they progressed in holiness. Then the angel knelt down, not simply kneeling, but prostrated himself till his forehead touched the ground. And that's a lesson in humility and reverence for us. We need such lessons in our world, which so often has forgotten the importance of reverence. If we are not struck with awe in the presence of God, then we cannot receive His graces. If we do not realize that we have been invited into intimacy with the Most High God, we risk losing everything. It's vitally important for us not to mistake familiarity with intimacy. The Lord calls us to intimacy with Him, and that intimacy is expressed by reverence. I often think in this regard of the appearance of our Lord to His apostles after the resurrection, when they had gone fishing. All night long they had caught nothing, and in the morning, tired and wet, they were frustrated when they saw the figure of a man standing on the shore. He called out to them, Have you caught any fish, little ones? And they said, No. And then he indicated to them where to cast their net. And soon the net was full almost to the breaking point. St. John the Apostle said to Peter then, It is the Lord. And Peter jumps out of the boat in order to go to Jesus. But the Gospel tells us that because he had removed his outer garments and was wearing probably only a loincloth in the boat, he first grabbed his cloak, wrapped it around him, and then waded through the water to the Lord on the shore. That's an act of reverence, an act of respect. And it is recorded in the Gospels, I believe, as an example to us, so that in our intimate friendship with Christ, we never forget the reverence we must also pay to Him as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. How do we express our reverence in prayer? We do so ordinarily in our recollection. We express it by kneeling, by holding our hands folded, by bowing our head at the holy name of Jesus and at the other times that are indicated in the liturgy. In this way, our prayer for God expresses physically and corporeally who God is and what we know by faith. Then we can make this prayer of intercession for others with greater efficacy and greater love. We can be moved to trust that the Lord will hear our prayers and will invite us to a deeper love for Him. This is the first of the appearances to the, of the angel to the children of Fatima. It will be followed by two more. In each of these apparitions, the angel will teach the children the way of intercession and sacrifice to lead them to the Blessed Sacrament and to reparation in union with Jesus, who offers himself to the Father for our sake. We'll break now, and please come back to us in a few moments, and we'll speak of the second two apparitions of the angel at Fatima.
Next time you visit EWTN.com, be sure to check out the Religious Catalog section. You'll find a wide variety of Catholic products. From Bibles to rosaries, there's something for everyone. And you can order online. It's easy, safe, and secure. Shop the Religious Catalog 24 hours a day at EWTN.com. O St. Joseph, whose protection is so great, so strong, so prompt before the throne of God, I place in thee all my interests and desires. Do thou, O St. Joseph, assist me by thy powerful intercession, and obtain for me, for my divine Son, all spiritual blessings, through Jesus Christ our Lord, so that, having engaged here below thy heavenly power, I may offer my thanksgiving and homage to the most loving of fathers. O Saint Joseph, I never weary contemplating thee, and Jesus asleep in thy arms. I dare not approach while he reposes so near thy heart. Press him in my name, and kiss his fine head for me, and ask him to return the kiss when I draw my dying breath. Saint Joseph, patron of departing souls, pray for me. Pray with us, the Holy Rosary, daily on the Global Catholic Network, EWTN. The second apparition of the angel to the three children at Fatima took place in the summer of 1916. It was after lunch, and the children had just finished their midday meal, when suddenly we, the angel appeared right next to them at a cistern outside of Lucy's house in the back garden. The angel said to the children, What are you doing? Not because he was unaware, but because he wanted them to realize that it was a moment in which they could be uniting themselves to God by prayer. And so the angel called them in this apparition, this visit, to prayer. What are you doing? Pray. Pray very much. The hearts of Jesus and Mary have designs of mercy on you. Offer prayers and sacrifices constantly to the Most High. These words of the angel invite the children to deep prayer and to a prayer that is joined to sacrifice. Now, the only way in which we can pray always is by giving an intention to all our works. We call this a habitual intention. We can begin our day, for example, offering to God all of our prayers, works, joys, and sufferings through the morning offering. And in that way, we consciously, intentionally place our day before the Lord as a sacrifice of praise. And then, later in the day, as we recall that morning offering, or as we pray to the Lord in other ways, that gift, that consecration, deepens. And so our acts, our offerings, do take on that sense of sacrifice. How do we make sacrifices, though? What is meant by this word? Lucy asked, how are we to make sacrifices? And the angel responded to her very simply, Make everything you do a sacrifice, and offer it to God as an act of reparation for the sins by which he is offended. 
and in supplication for the conversion of sinners. You will thus draw down peace upon your country. I am its angel guardian, the angel of Portugal. Above all, accept and bear with submission the suffering which the Lord will send you. Now, this message is extremely dense, extremely rich in what it expresses both to the children and to us. The first purpose of our reparation is to satisfy, to atone for, the offense committed against God. Sin truly offends God. It hurts Him. We can say this because in Christ we see God with a human heart. We offer reparation in order to atone for the honor and glory which has been taken away by our sins. Reparation simply is an excess of love whereby sacrifice and in the acceptance of suffering a soul heroically acknowledges the sovereignty of God and implores God's grace to move the hearts of hardened sinners. In the work and life of reparation, we can offer prayer, we can accept those sacrifices, those trials and difficulties that come upon us as part of our ordinary life, and we can voluntarily take upon ourselves certain penances and works. The children of Fatima were outstanding in this. They would sacrifice their lunches, giving them away to other children, and eating only acorns, nuts, and wild onions that they found in the fields. They would go for long periods of time during the day without drinking water, because they thought of the thirst of Christ on the cross. We can practice such penances as these, and also offer the good that we do, the extra that we do, as a gift of love to God to repair for the ingratitude with which our Lord's words and sacrifice are so often met. Sin is enmity with God. Sin divides and separates us also. And so when we make reparation, we are fostering reconciliation. We are healing the wounds of Jesus in his mystical body, the church. We are offering praise to the Father in union with Christ, who by his perfect act of atonement on the cross satisfies for all human sin. And yet, he invites us to consciously join our actions, our offerings, our sacrifices to his. And in this way, too, the sacrifice of Christ is made better visible in our world, in our modern age. That is why St. Paul said, I make up in my own body what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. Well, we know that the sufferings of Jesus are perfect. They are perfect atonement. But Paul is speaking of making visible Christ's sacrifice to those around him as the servant of Christ and as a cooperator in the work of redemption. The angel speaking of the two kinds of sacrifice, those which we choose and those sufferings which God chooses or sends to us, makes an important distinction for us. Greater than any sacrifice that we can think up on our own is the offering of our will to God, by which we patiently accept 
the trials and difficulties of our life. St. Teresa of the Child Jesus spoke of this so often in her writings, telling her sister that peace consists in truly willing what God wants for us. A beautiful prayer which I learned from a great apostle of the Holy Angels and have continued to teach to children in my parishes ever since is this simple phrase, Jesus, I want what you want for me. Jesus, I want what you want for me. That is the first and the best prayer that we should teach to our children. It is a prayer that expresses confidence and trust in the Lord and desire to fulfill Christ's will. It helps to instill in our children's hearts an intimate friendship with the Lord, a friendship that will continue to grow their whole life long. I often say to parents that this may be the first prayer that we teach to our children, but it is a prayer that we as adults have to learn to say constantly, even to our very last breath, Jesus, I want what you want for me. The fruitfulness of teaching such a prayer to our children will show itself very quickly, and we will find that little ones that are brought up in this way are led to adoration. In recent years, many parishes have tried to promote holy hours, or even holy half-hours, for small children. The monstrance might be placed on a lower altar to be near to the children, and with candles and flowers surrounding our Lord, the little ones gather around Him to express in their own prayers and in prayers that have been composed for them their love for Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament and their desire to be His friends and grow in His love. Blessed Edward Pope, a diocesan priest from Belgium who died in 1924, was the first promoter of such holy hours for children. And he always encouraged the children to make their holy hour with their guardian angels, so that the angels together with the children surrounded the monstrance. Father Pope believed that in this way, little ones grow in the grace of Christ and receive again and again and again the grace and protection that they need to hold fast to the faith and to share the faith with others. Oftentimes children who grow in such an experience of prayer and trust become missionaries in their own homes, bringing back to the practice of the faith relatives and family members who had not gone to church for a long, long time. The angel taught the children at Fatima of the union, the importance of joining sacrifice to prayer. Lucia would write later, These words of the angel were indelibly impressed upon our minds. They were a light which made us understand who God is, how he loves us and desires to be loved, the value of sacrifice, how pleasing it is to him, and how on account of it he grants the grace of conversion to sinners. This second apparition to the three children prepared them for the final visit of the angel, which took place in the fall of 1916. At this time, the angel brought the children to an experience of adoration of the Blessed Sacrament and revealed to them 
the most holy trinity. The children were in the fields tending to their sheep when the angel appeared to them again at the loco da cabeso, holding a chalice in his hands with a host above it from which some drops of blood were falling into the sacred vessel. The angel left the chalice and host suspended in the air, prostrated himself before the Eucharist, and said this prayer with the children three times. Most Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I adore you profoundly, and I offer you the most precious body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, present in all the tabernacles of the world, in reparation for the outrages, sacrileges, and indifference with which he himself is offended, and through the infinite merits of his most sacred heart and the immaculate heart of Mary, I beg of you the conversion of poor sinners. Amen. Then, rising, he gave Holy Communion with the Sacred Host to Lucia, and to Jacinta and Francisco he gave them to drink of the chalice, saying, Take and receive the body and blood of Jesus Christ, horribly outraged by ungrateful men. Repair their crimes and console your God. Then he repeated the prayer to the Most Holy Trinity three times before disappearing. This beautiful experience reveals to the children the Holy Trinity and the Eucharist. It is a call to reparation, a call to each of us to identify ourselves with Christ's sacrifice. In giving to Jacinta and Francisco the chalice of the precious blood, the angel called them to a new union, a union with Christ in his sufferings, an experience of the will of God. Can you not drink of the cup of which I must drink? Jesus invites us to drink of this cup, to receive him in Holy Communion, to receive him body and blood, soul and divinity, that we may have life, that we might have within us the strength and the force, which is a pledge of eternity, so that we might be divinized by Christ, who comes to us in the beauty of the sacramental life. Let us ask the holy angels to teach us to pray and to adore the Lord in the most blessed sacrament. And let us take up the message of the angel by using these two prayers in preparation for Holy Communion and many times during the day so that we might praise the Lord and receive more abundantly the gifts of his grace. I'm Father John Horgan. Thank you for being with us for this episode of Angels of God. I hope to see you again next time.